something I forgot to mention is the dedication, the special dedication of merit at the end. If you want to fill out one of these cards on the back table to, to have the merit at the end of the evening dedicated to someone or a group of, of people in particular, um, you can do that. And then I read them off when we, when we dedicate merit at the very end. Thanks, Shine, for reminding me. Sometimes there's just so many announcements, I forget. I always forget something. Okay. So, last week I started this series on the three pillars of the Dharma. So I'll just recap a bit um, for those of you who were here and those who weren't here. The three pillars are dana, or giving, the practice of uh, giving, generosity. Sila, which is the practice of um, virtue, of the precepts. And bhavana, which has several translations, uh, but the one I've been using is mostly related to our concentration, and insight practice. So these are the three pillars of the Dharma. And we started last week with dana, the practice of generosity, um, from the perspective of uh, taking a deeper look at what I was calling them the essence of dana. What is the essence of the importance of this particular pillar? Why does it have such a prominent place in, in this particular list? And so we started by investigating um, dana as a way of letting go, the practice of letting go, which also led to a lot of uh, me talking about non-self, actually, And so this evening, I'd like to continue on in that vein of looking at the essence of dana, but this time, just looking at it, really, I'm basic, it's, it's basically the same thing, but just a different angle on it, looking at the essence of how dana relates to our interconnectedness, our connectedness to each other um, and to all things. So we'll continue on this on this thread. And then as the weeks go on, we'll go into the other pillars. So dana, that's the Pali word for sometimes translated as generosity or giving. Sometimes it's, uh, there's the phrase open-handedness, which I really, I really like that phrase. I'd like to start by reading uh, just a, actually, I'm going to read a few times from this translated um, talk by Tanisaro Bhikkhu. This was a talk he gave on in March 2003, and it's called "Generosity First." And I found it really inspiring and really fit this particular angle that we're going to be. Um, exploring this evening. 
So he starts by saying, years ago, when Ajahn Suat was teaching at a retreat at IMS, which is Insight Meditation Society, which is kind of the spirit rock of the East Coast. So he's teaching a retreat at IMS, and I was his interpreter. After the second or third day of the retreat, he turned to me and said, I noticed that when people meditate, they're awfully grim. You'd look out across the room, and all the people were sitting there, very serious, their faces tense, their eyes closed tight. It was almost as if they had nirvana or bust written across their foreheads. (laughs) You guys look that way sometimes. (laughs) Not always, but sometimes. We get tight in our trying to do this practice. So he attributed their grimness to the fact that most people here in the West come to Buddhist meditation without any preparation in the other Buddhist teachings. They haven't had any experience in being generous in line with the Buddhist teachings on giving. They haven't had any experience in developing virtue in line with the Buddhist precepts. They come to the Buddhist teachings without having tested them in daily life. So they don't have a sense of confidence, that the confidence that they need to get them through the hard parts of the meditation. They feel they have to rely on sheer determination instead. And we talked a little bit about this last week, how there's a lot of emphasis here in the West as far as um, in the insight tradition, which is what this group is coming from. A lot of emphasis on the actual practice of mindfulness, Vipassana, concentration, even metta practice. But we haven't put a lot of um, time teaching and practicing these other pillars of generosity and virtue. So he's calling this out, saying that this is really unbalanced and it creates a problem in our actual practice. If you look at the way meditation, virtue, and generosity are taught here, it's the exact opposite of the order in which they're taught in Asia. Here people sign up for a retreat to learn some meditation. And only when they show up at the retreat center do they learn they're going to have to observe some precepts during the retreat. And then at the very end of the retreat, they learn that before they'll be allowed to go home, They're going to have to be generous. (laughs) It's all backwards. It's all backwards. So it's a really interesting perspective. And I'll tell you, this was my experience too, uh, spending some time in Thailand and Burma, that uh, this is is quite backwards. It's, It's worked out in some way here, but we're missing something. There's something that's not quite balanced in the practice because we're, our understanding of the importance, the value, the deep value of generosity and virtue is um, somewhat lost in the way that we're, we're doing things.
in Asia, well, in Buddhist Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, generosity is really the first practice that you learn as a little kid related to your spiritual practice. And one of the ways that you do this every day, the tradition is that the monks go out on alms rounds and they go out with their bowl and they're completely dependent. Their meal for the day, their one meal for the day is completely dependent on the local people putting food in their bowl that morning. And this has been a tradition going back to the time of the Buddha. And so as a child, you learn generosity through this act of uh, sharing food with the monks, maybe every morning. And so at first you do it because you're told, and that's what everyone else is doing. But the idea is that over time it becomes this engagement with the practice of giving. And not only an engagement in the practice of giving, but an engagement of realizing for yourself that the act of giving brings in uh, a contentment and a happiness by offering to somebody else. So this is how the practice often begins. And then you see this goes even further when you go to a monastery. There's so much generosity being practiced by the lay community in many different ways. So um, it might be in the form of offering food. It might be in the form of offering uh, the robes to the monks. It might be in the, the way of uh, building a structure on the property or fixing something or cleaning the temple, helping clean the temple. It might be uh, in the form of medicine for the monks in the community there. And then in more simple ways, and actually you see this a lot, the simple act of dedicating merit, um, lighting incense, just a stick of incense or a candle, making a food offering to um, the beautiful deities and, and Buddhas that are representing something much bigger than just the, the self or the selfishness. And it's really quite beautiful and moving and something that, as a Westerner, I found very foreign <laughs> of an idea. And it took a while for me to really understand what was even happening. It seemed, um, I just, I couldn't quite connect to what was going on. And it took some time to realize that this was actually part of, of the spiritual practice, this, this giving practice. And this idea of becoming the donor or the giver, and also the relationship between the giver and the receiver is talked about through the suttas. This is in the Angruta Nikaya. The donor before giving is glad. Just right from the start, even before giving, the donor before giving is glad. While giving, he, his or her mind is inspired. And after giving, is gratified. 
These are the three factors of the donor. So there's something very joyous in this. It's not caught up in stinginess or not enoughness. It's not um, rote, you know, just throwing the money into the basket or lighting the stick of incense because others are doing it um, or putting the food in the bowl because we were told, told to. There, the heart is engaged. The mind is engaged in this practice. And then it goes on to say that the recipients are free from desire or wanting selfishness or are practicing for the subduing of desire. They're free of aversion or practicing for the subduing of aversion and free of delusion or practicing for the subduing of delusion. These are the three factors for the recipient. So the practice doesn't end at the action of giving. The practice is also there as the receiver, whether you're the monk or you're the layperson. So you can see this uh, symbiotic relationship that is built through this beautiful tradition of dana. So through this practice of generosity, we start by actually cultivating great happiness. We start with the cultivation of happiness. And from there, uh, the practice thrives. A happy mind and a happy heart. If we're starting from there, the practice will thrive. This, too, is from the Anguta Nikaya. And what is the treasure of generosity? The Buddha spoke a lot about generosity. What is the treasure of generosity? There is the case of the disciple of the Buddha. So we could all probably consider ourselves the disciple of of the Buddha. His awareness cleansed of the stain of stinginess. Living at home, so perhaps that's pointing to a lay person. I kind of read this also, living at home, just living in home in ourself, this settled in, this grounded being here, stillness. Living at home, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in being magnanimous. I believe what he's pointing to is uh, the purity and the um, being magnanimous in our virtue, um, actions, speech, mind, heart, intentions. Responsive to, to requests, delighting in the uh, distribution of alms, the giving of food. This is called the treasure of generosity. So you can feel the delight in what is produced Uh, from this mind and heart that is open-handed, that is open, free. It really is a movement of the heart. So this is where we start with the practice of dana. And with this happiness that comes through, comes peace. There's a settling and a peace 
inside ourself, inside our mind. I think this is really interesting because what it's implying here is that even before we come to sit, we're coming to sit through this, these practices, we're coming to sit with a mind and heart that's already settled and at peace and delighted and happy. Most of us come to sit to achieve that. We come to sit and our mind is not delighted, <laughs> not so happy, perhaps restless, perhaps um, agitated, doubtful, sluggish, lazy, kind of the opposite of what's being stated here. So it's just a different perspective on, on how we practice. Do we come and practice with the hopes of cultivating these qualities? Or are we living our life in a way so that when we come and sit, those qualities are already there? When we come and we sit and those qualities are already there, then our practice is greatly affected. The mind collects, the mind concentrates much more easily. Our mindfulness is strengthened. It's strong. What happens is we become steady in the Dharma. We become steady in the Dharma. It's such a settling thought. It's this idea of what would it be like to feel steady in the Dharma. When I think of my own life and, and what it's like living in the world where it just feels phonetic often, not so steady, and so easy to get caught and bogged down or dragged into these mental states that just feed uh, disruption and agitation and restlessness. And to not be so affected by all that, to live in a way where we're steady in the Dharma, steady even in the changing nature of things, steady in this idea of not um, having to cling to everything or or try to control everything. We're steady and we're relaxed in the way things are. Steady in the Dharma. And through this, great confidence arises. Confidence in our, uh, the way that we are in the world. Confidence in our virtue. We become confident in our ability to be with whatever comes up. So great confidence in our practice can arise. This is more from Tanasaro Bhikkhu. And he talks about this confidence. He says, This confidence is what allows you to overcome a lot of the initial difficulties the distractions, the pain. 
At the same time, the spaciousness that comes from generosity gives you the right mindset for the concentration practice, gives you the right mindset for insight practice. Because when you sit down and focus on the breath, what kind of mind do you have? So this is what I was pointing to. The mind you've been creating through your generous and virtual actions, that is, if you're coming from this place of confidence because of your generosity and your virtue. A spacious mind, not the narrow mind of a person who doesn't have enough. It's the spacious mind of a person who has more than enough to share, the mind of a person who has no regrets or denial over past action. In short, it's a mind of a person who realizes that true happiness doesn't see a sharp dichotomy between your own well-being and the well-being of others. I'm going to read that again. It's the mind of a person who realizes the tr- that true happiness doesn't see a sharp dichotomy between your own well-being and the well-being of others. So what's being spoken to here is that, that connection and non-separation. This is where dana, the practice of generosity, and the strengthening it brings into our practice and the confidence that comes from that begins to flow into our deeper understanding of our connection with each other, with our non-separation from all things. He goes on to say the whole idea that happiness has to consist either in, one, doing things only for your own selfish motives, so our, our own happiness, or that, two, for other people, to the sacrifice of yourself. So sometimes we get this mindset that it's one or the other. And so he's saying that the dichotomy between the two is something very Western, he says. But it's in contrast to the Buddhist teachings. According to the Buddhist teachings, true happiness is something that, by its nature, gets spread around. So it doesn't belong to any of us. By working for our own true benefit, you're working for the benefit of others. And by working for the benefit of others, you're working for your own. In the act of giving to others, you gain rewards. In the act of holding fast to the, to the precepts, to the, the practice of virtue, holding fast to your principles, protecting others from your unskillful behavior, you gain as, you gain as well. You gain in mindfulness, you gain in your own sense of worth as a person, your own self-esteem. You protect yourself. We probably don't think of it in this way, but he's saying quite a lot, isn't he? The way that we are in the world affects 
everything. <laughs> it affects our, our, our own mind and heart, and it affects the minds and hearts of those who are around us. The Buddha talked not only a lot about generosity, but he also talked a lot about its opposite, which you could say is uh, stinginess or being a miser. He uses, often it's translated, I don't know what the original Pali is, but they translate it a lot as becoming a miser. So I want to read you a few quotes um, that I found on these subjects. This is from the Dhammapada. Conquer anger with lack of anger, bad with good, stinginess with a gift, a liar with truth. It's very simple. But it's not always what we think about when we think of our tightness, our grip on things, our wanting to protect our, our happiness or protect the things in our life that we associate with as bringing us happiness, that hoarding feeling, that outward action of tightness then becomes internalized as this internal tightness and lack of connection. Can we go from that tightness to open-handedness? That's what he's saying. Here's another one. This is from the Sangruta Nikaya. So when the world is on fire with aging and death, the truth of where we're all going, (laughs) aging and death, One should salvage one's wealth by giving. What's given is well salvaged. What's given bears fruit as pleasure. What isn't given does not. Thieves take it away or kings. It gets burned by fire or lost. And then this last one also from the Sangruta Nikaya. What the miser fears that keeps him from giving is the very danger that comes when he doesn't give. So often that tightness and our stinginess or our selfishness or whatever, however it's manifesting, unavailability, uh, is coming often from this place of fear this place of not-enoughness. What about mine? Self-preservation. In the end, what it manifests is exactly what we fear. It actually gets in the way of our true happiness. It gets in the way of our ability to connect fully with others. We end up alone This isn't what we hoped for when we go into this protection mode. We really want to protect ourselves from this, but we end up manifesting it all the same. So 
So when we bring this deeper understanding of the power of dana and how it affects us in our practice and how it affects us in our connection with others, when we bring that into our actual practice here on the cushion, we understand that the benefits of our practice truly benefits others. That even just coming here and sitting and listening to Dharma and being in a community like this is actually a a beautiful gift. Ajahn Fung, I think that's how you say his name. Ajahn Fung, who's the teacher of Tanasaro Bhikkhu, uh, often would reply when, he, when people would come to him and say, how can I ever repay you for your teachings? He would often say, by being intent on practicing. And he really meant it. This is, uh, Tanasaro Bhikkhu talks about this uh, quite a bit. He really meant it. It wasn't just, you know, oh, just keep practicing. It came from this place of really understanding that the gift of them continuing with their practice has a ripple effect in this world that means a lot. Our actions have an effect. All of our actions, our intentions, have an effect. So I like to think sometimes of this effect, and I talk about this in, uh, in different ways, as being a ripple effect thinking about how this continues outward in the world, how our intentions, our actions, our speech, our mind state, our clarity or non-clarity, our kindness, our hatred, all of this has a ripple effect into the world, affecting ourselves as well as others. And so, you know, it's been, not today, but it's coming. It's been raining. And I live uh, on the water in Alameda. And I really love, just as the rain is just starting to come down, if you really pay attention to uh, the raindrops, each one comes down, and as it hits the ocean, or the estuary in my case, uh, there's... Uh, a ripple that floods out. And then you have all these billions and trillions of raindrops that are coming down, and all of them making these ripple effects. You can imagine that each one of these is an intention, or perhaps even a manifestation of that intention into an action. And this is similar to what I'm talking to, uh, talking about. So when the ripple effect is being caused by an act or an intention that's steeped in dana, in generosity, this really virtuous uh, uh, intention or action coming from dana, it affects first, maybe you could imagine that first ripple out, that first ring as it beats out, being the effect on our practice, being the effect on our mind and on our heart, this internal effect. 
that it has this strong pulsation in our being that not only happens in that moment, but it can have a lasting effect on the way that we relate to our lives over time. We can remember those moments. In fact, uh, it's suggested that when your practice gets kind of dry and uninspiring, to think of a time when you were inspired by generosity. To rest back into that memory of goodness, of openness, of happiness. So this is that first ripple, that first ring beating out. And then perhaps the second ring beating out is that of the effect it has on others. When we have the intention or the action based in generosity, it's inspiring. It inspires others. It influences others when they see that. And this doesn't mean to go out and be generous and then go, look what I did. (laughs) That's not the idea. The idea is to do it from this place of simply... uh, this, pure, this purity of heart and mind. But from that, we end up affecting the people around us in, in a pure way. I talked about the, the treasures of generosity. There's also a line uh, here on the rewards of generosity. It says, the five rewards of generosity are this. One is dear and appealing to people at large. One is admired by good people. One's good name is spread about. One does not stray from the rightful duties of the householder. And with the breakup of the body at death, One reappears in a good destination in the heavenly worlds. That sounds pretty good. These are the rewards of generosity. So one is dear and appealing, admired by good people. And it's true, when we think about the people we know who embody this, we admire them we think of them dearly. We want to be near them. Maybe we even want to be like them. I wish I could be that generous and open-handed and available. It's inspiring. We can do this for each other. When we do this for each other, it's food for each other. It's food for ourself, for our, uh, for our happiness. And just like when it rains and all those raindrops are coming down, creating all these different ripple effects, those ripple effects, they intersect. They flood over each other. After a while, when it's really raining, you don't see the individual ripples anymore. You just see all of the movement on top of the water's surface. And that's what it's like in being community our ripple effects are just com- are coming together all the time, affecting each other, 
in connection. We're in connection with each other in a very real way. Our actions don't just butt up against another person's actions. They flow together. They connect. And in this way, we become part of the manifestation of a Dharma community, such as this one, or maybe even in a larger way in the world. What a beautiful thought. And so also in this way, we start to see that how our actions affect each other. There's this circular motion, that symbiotic relationship, similar to what I was talking about when you uh, see the practice of dana in the Buddhist communities in Southeast Asia between the lay people and the monastic community, that the lay people are giving in this way, the monks and nuns are receiving, and then the monks and nuns are offering uh, teachings, a place to practice, um, an example of how to live in a very different way, providing the lineage of the Dharma. And so then the lay people receive. And then this cycle continues, and it's been continuing since the time of the Buddha. And so that's one example, but we do it for ourselves as well. And so that relationship of back and forth can be coming from these raindrops, these, these ripples of uh, dana or virtue, but they can also be coming from greed, hatred, delusion. Those also produce their own ripple effects. And we can begin that cycle if that's what we choose or are just unconscious to. And we see this play out. We see it play out in our life. We can be involved in the circle of giving or in the circle of stinginess, selfishness, a feeling of being better than, uh, the feeling of not enough. And so we come then to this, perhaps this third ring that's beating out from our, our single drop of, of generosity. And perhaps this third ring could represent our interconnectedness with each other. Seeing that through our actions, we are linked together karmically. Tanisaro Biko calls it karma connectedness. So depending on our intentions, the connection can be positive or it can be negative. And as we develop in this way and cultivate ourselves, more and more we actually do have a choice in the matter, which is what, which one we choose and which one we choose to nourish. The less time we spend in valuing dana, sila, bhavana, the less cho- choice we actually have. We're operating out of delusion, not seeing clearly out of really old habits that haven't served us well. 
And so this cultivation is essential to our happiness, to our freedom, and to our relationships with each other. We'll read this last bit from Tanasarobiku. The quality of generosity, what they call chaga in Pali, is included in many states, oops, many sets of the Dharma's teachings. One is the set of practices leading to a fortunate rebirth. So they're talking about karma in the sense of how we live this life affects us even beyond this life. This doesn't apply only to rebirth, though, that comes after death, but also to the states of being, the states of mind you create for yourself moment to moment, that you move into each moment. You create the world in which you live through your actions. We are creating our own world through our actions through our thoughts, our intentions, our state of heart and mind. It's not to blame anybody else. (laughs) We're doing it. You create the world in which you live through your actions. By being generous, not only with material things, but also with your time, your energy, your forgiveness, your willingness to be fair and just with other people, you create a good world in which to live in. Your habits tend more towards being stingy. You create, oh, they create a very confining world because there's never enough. There's always a lack of this, a lack of that, or a fear that something is going to slip away or get taken away from you. So it's a narrow, fearful, fearful world you create when you're not generous as opposed to the confident and wide open world you create through actions of generosity. And then finally, if we take this analogy of the drop of water and the ripple effects, the drop of water being that intention or action of generosity, the ripple effects being the cause and effect, the karma that comes from those actions that affect ourselves and the people around us and the world around us. Perhaps we can then look at this in an even larger universal way by looking at the water itself. What is it that's holding all of this. Just like I was thinking about how all of these drops of intention, of action, of just being here in the world, all of these mind moments active moments, all of these connections we're making with each other, if all of these are just these droplets of water, and then thinking about how all of that coming down in this great, huge, 
body of ocean, not being able to tell between one drop or the other, that although those drops are still there, they're not separate anymore. And we are that to each other, and we are that with everything. That this practice of generosity that starts with the delighting in being generous can lead towards this much deeper understanding of this non-self, this, uh, as we try to cognitively understand the uh, hugeness of what we're a part of, allow the mind to just drop away and just be in this huge ocean that you're already in. Sometimes I think we're like the fish looking for the sea. (laughs) We're already in it. A part of something so much larger. Not separate. This is how our actions, our intentions, flow truly together. Not separate. So I leave you with that thought. So let's just take a moment with our eyes closed to just just sit in this ocean together. As part of the act of generosity, we dedicate the merit this evening. And we'll begin with uh, metta and merit to specific people. This first one is from a Sangha member who would like to dedicate the merit to, it says, for my sister Barbara, who is in recovery from meningitis. So we dedicate the the, uh, merit to Barbara this evening. To a co-worker's mom who has uh, multiple cancers, dedicating the merit to this mother. And to uh, a friend's to a friend whose mom just passed away. So dedicating the merit to this friend as well as to her mother. And then taking a moment to perhaps bringing up someone in your own heart and mind you'd like to dedicate merit to. And then finally, dedicating the merit, the goodness, the wholesomeness that we've cultivated here together to all beings everywhere, 
leaving out none. All beings in all directions. May we all find safety from inner and outer harm. May we be happy and content in our lives. May we be healthy in the mind and in the body. May we find a way to freedom in the heart and in the mind. May all beings be freed from their suffering. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.